This is The First Years, a podcast about the unicorns of American agriculture, first-generation farmers, and the guts, grit, determination, and business prowess required to be one. Welcome to this week's episode of The First Years. I'm Amelie Salaka, and I'm excited to share um, a New York farmer named Tom Murray with you guys this week. He is super unique in that he saw the need for his business to totally change in terms of structure from from when he first started out. So when he first started out, his focus was solely on super high genetics, and now they've expanded into other areas of business as well to remain profitable in this tough dairy economy. So I'm super excited to have Tom on the show today. Tom, tell us about your farm. First of all, we are, I like to say, a first-generation farm. Um, on 150 acres, and um, we started with, you know, 90 milk cows. We borrowed 100% of our financing to start with um, no collateral, um, and it was um, basically uh, an opportunity for us to assume a mortgage on a farm and borrow the rest of the money to get started. I was just going to say, tell me about your childhood and and what made you want to become a farmer. Oh, I don't know if that's um, significant in a lot of ways. It's just that um, uh, I grew up on a dairy farm uh, not far from here, you know, about 10 miles south of here. But uh, when I graduated from high school, I left the farm and uh, went to Colorado. I had the opportunity to work at Pac Lamar Farms, um, which at the time in the 70s, 80s they were probably considered the world's most uh, predominant breeding establishment for registered cattle Um, i learned at the hand of the master came back um, went to uh, school at colbeskill and um, then i ended up down at virginia tech came back to the small town of hamilton um, where i met my wife um, married worked on her dad's farm uh, in a partnership. Uh, They had a larger farm operation and they purchased a small uh, tie stall barn, which fit my expertise of registered cattle. Um, Worked in the partnership for six years. And then we decided after our children were born uh, that uh, we needed to make some different decisions for ourselves. And um, rather than work in a partnership, um, we decided to try to find a farm of our own. Now, that being said, did I know I wanted to be a farmer? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think it was uh, a lot of different things, factors played into it. Number one, uh, I don't know if I knew anything else or I didn't have a skill at anything else. Um, and um, I had a wife and three children that I had to provide for so yeah but a lot of things a lot of things happen out of opportunity and sometimes you take a risk and take those opportunities and sometimes you don't i've always been one to look at opportunities and evaluate them and um knowing the risk is high but also having great faith in myself to accomplish those goals to see it through yeah. Now, let's let's talk about that a minute. 
it has never been easy. I have always been um, in debt, um, but debt doesn't bother me because I, I know how to manage debt. I don't let debt manage me. Yeah. And, um, and again, we took our expertise um, on the cow side and um, was able to make a couple of key purchases early on um, with some heavy risk involved that turned out to be very significant in the progression of our um, farm uh, on an international and uh, domestic and national level and also helped take great um, um, leaps in um, helping us uh, reduce our debt load. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> that's basically it, just a few things. Um, so you've always been interested in registered cattle then? Um, yes, I mean, you know, up until a point, I mean, we could see that the industry was changing. I mean, you know, it, it, when we had a cow that set the world's milk production record, it set us on a on a whole new path of uh, prominence and awareness. So we continued down that road, and we, you know, made some other key purchases, and we were able to put together some pedigrees and some, you know, bulls and some females at the time that were very highly sought after both domestically and internationally and then in 2003 you know at another low milk price time we decided to have our milking herd dispersal because the genetic level of our herd was at an extremely all-time high and at that point that year it was the highest milking herd dispersal in the nation right around four thousand dollars per cow um so we were able to capitalize on that um reap the benefits but at that time, I was pretty much had satisfied all my goals as being a first time generation farmer and the children were all headed off to college. Yeah. And we encouraged them and we encouraged them all not to come back to the farm. Really? I did not know that part of your story. Yeah. I mean, we knew it was hard work. We knew it would be, you know, um, it has to be something that you have a passion for. You have to have the stomach for it uh, because it's not easy. And as evident of these times that we, yeah. that in my lifetime that I've never seen anything like this. And, and, you know, generational farmers are saying the same thing. And it's a very, you know, discouraging, very depressing time in our industry. But uh, at the same time, I mean, we look for opportunities outside of the dairy um and thus you know we started the cheese business out of that not knowing that it was going to grow to this to this you know what it is today and where it's going but um again it it's not without taking risk and it's not without taking on debt it's i look at it like this either you are going to milk two thousand three thousand four thousand five thousand cows and go into debt building and constantly growing that way or you're going to build out your your business model like we've done, which is also incurring debt and also taking risk, but managing it and um, and realizing that there's gonna be some lean times yeah. in the beginning. And we just 
you know, our business model didn't tell us that we were going to be in this milk price situation for four years. Yeah, nobody's so, did. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, basically where we're at today. And I mean, it's uh, been a true, you know, a pleasure and um, to uh, be able to have your son come home and um, have it be his passion. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it, it is not without um, some disagreements and some um, soul searching and some give and take on both sides that you work together and, and realize there's a common goal here. It's a vision that's down the road. And it's not always easy to walk around with your pockets empty and have all your money tied up in, in, in your facilities or in your cattle or in feed and, and, um, and just, you know, I don't know if the, the generation works like that anymore, but to have a, have a young couple like Blaine and Mary kind of, you know, not initially really understand that, but are, they're kind of getting used to that now. Um, it's a great, um, it's, it's a great, I guess I don't know what the right term is, but it's, uh, it's a feeling of, you know, things are starting to fall into place because even though the dairy price is low and it, it takes all of our cash out of our cheese business to run the dairy or most, you know, a lot of it, both businesses are growing just at a slower rate than our business model projected. Sure. So I want to go back to something that you just kind of breezed over, but I think it's really interesting that in 2003, you dispersed your milking herd. Can you talk about that a little bit more and why you did that? Well, at the time, uh, our, you know, our, our cows, like I said, were, uh, were very highly sought after. Um, and we felt like, you know, there's a couple of things that played into that decision. The first one was that, that our, our milking herd was very highly sought after individuals and our reputation in the business was at a, probably an all time high. So we knew our Miranda prefix would carry great weight if we decided to have a dispersal. In sure. conjunction with that, the Holstein associate, the Holstein world was celebrating a hundred years in business and they were having a select cow sale two miles from our house you know in a, in conjunction with empire farm days which is also two miles from our home so we were capitalizing on that opportunity that presented itself and again timing is everything it just so happens our herd was right that sale was happening. There was going to be a lot of international and domestic breeders in town for that. And so they were right here in our dooryard. Why not, you know, combine the two? So our sale was the night before, and then that sale was the next night. And um, it worked out great. So you just said to yourself, yeah. like, oh, the timing's right. We'll just sell everything. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a risk. There's no question about it. I mean, milk price was $10 and, 
And, you know, quite honestly, you know, I thought that we would um, be um, be uh, looking at, you know, maybe a 1700 to $2,000 average. And, um, and, you know, I mean, it just really surprised us that the, the general public, uh, the international interest that we had just opened up their checkbooks and, and bought livestock from us as investments to their breeding establishments. Now sure. we kept all our young stock. Anything that was bred, you know, and carrying a calf and younger, we kept. So we had a nucleus for another herd waiting. So it was more like a vacation than sell out really. You just didn't have to yeah, wait for a while. Yeah, if you if you want to call it that, if you want to call it that, I mean, we took a little break. Um, we came when the heifers started to calve back in. I got anxious. I went out and bought some eleven jerseys from Sycamore Hill to kind of make my day worth something. And you know, we were in the jersey business for a little while until the rest of the herd came online, and then you know, eventually we were back up to sixty cows. Yeah. And then. Then you know, then the then the cheese business started. I mean, the three kids were at Cornell, and Nancy said, "Hey, we got to have a little more income here." So I said, "I don't know if the kids are going to come back, so let's not get too wrapped up in this." And I mean, fortunately, we live in an area that is growing from an agricultural standpoint, and farms are highly sought after. So um, we're we're um we're not in any shape and form uh, i guess uh we have a security blanket that we're sitting at you know yeah. yeah that makes sense so when you're starting your farm what was the biggest challenge well first of all we we borrowed or um we assumed the mortgage on the farm so that was 200,000 and um we had and to go out and borrow that? what's that what year was that uh 1991. okay and um then we had to borrow money from fsa as a big as a beginning farmer and the only because the mortgage was with them we could only borrow 900 dollars per cow so we had to borrow or we had to buy everybody's call to fill the barn which left, uh, which left us no extra capital for li uh, young stock. <laughs> so our, mm -hmm. our initial herd, we turned, we turned that over completely in three years, just from having to buy replacements and um, are, are constantly buying replacements because we just, we went to dairies and I said, hey, could, I, could you sell me 30 cows? And they said, yeah, you can take these 30. High somatic cell, bad feet and leg, poor breeders. We did go to Pennsylvania and buy one cow for $30,000. And she's the mother of the cow that set the world's milk production record. And I used a lot of those initial cows for recipients. That's so fascinating to me. A lot of it is born out of opportunity. A lot of it is born out of luck. And a lot of it is born out of hard work. Yeah. And, and not really... You know, it's it just never giving up from the standpoint of, you know, 
we can do this. I mean, there there were times that Nancy and I would go to the bank and ask for more money, knowing full well that they weren't going to give it to us. Yeah. And somehow coming out of there with some type of a plan to keep us in business. A lot of it, I think, has to do with being honest, being just being upfront with people and um, and have them know that you're doing the best you can and that market conditions are your only problem. You know, you're running lean, you're, you're, you're maximizing your labor, you're, you know, you're, it's just uh, basically, you know, in today's world, you, you would think I was nuts <laughs> to do what we did, you know? Yeah, but I think there's really good, um, I think that's a really good message to, to pause on for a minute because, I mean, we, we know obviously that farmers are having a really hard time right now. And I think just what you said about like doing everything that you can on your end to make it better is, is paramount, right? It, to your relationships with your bankers, to relationships with your suppliers, to relationships with your employees everyone knowing that you're doing the best that you can with what you have. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be out there right in the, right in the trenches with them and, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and make everybody feel like it's a team and it, and it's not, you know, and when it's time for raises, you have to give it to them and, and take a little bit less. You have to be willing to sacrifice things in your own life get where you want to go and it's that i think it's that that's hard for people to do nowadays it's hard for them to sacrifice to the point that it really hurts but understanding that the vision is down the road you know being being the person that's so optimistic that it isn't always going to be this bad right you know yeah but I will tell you this, I mean, there's a lot of farmers out there right now. And and, it, and I'll tell you, I mean, the thoughts creep into our mindset too, you know. It, you know, how, how much longer can we hold on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm curious what the worst advice you ever received was. The worst advice. I probably didn't take it. Okay. Um, I guess, you know, the worst advice was, um, geez, I never had that question. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess the worst advice, if you want to put this into perspective, the worst advice I ever got was probably from my banker not to do some things I did. Interesting. You went against your banker's recommendation. I'd like to hear more about that. Well, we just, you know, we had a game plan. We presented it. He would tell us, you know, I don't really think you're ready to do that or you shouldn't do this. And I, I just strongly believe, you know, in my mind that I can make this work. I can do this. You know, I'm not saying you're wrong, but give me an opportunity to prove you wrong. Sure. And going out, I mean, that's, that's where it gets a little tricky with people is how much fortitude do you have to make something work how much sacrifice can you have to make it work 
And that's where, you know, I think that's maybe a little different. I'm a little different than some people like that. Is I'm willing to sacrifice everything to make something work. Again, it might take longer than the anticipated time. You can see it. It's right there at the end of the at the end of the tunnel. It, it's right there. You just have to work towards it. Um, so I always ask this question on the podcast. This will be the last question um, today. But to what do you credit your success? Do you think that it's um, you know skill or your business acumen, or do you think it was you know lucky timing maybe? It, it's a it's a combination of things. It's um, first of all, again, it's about opportunities to present themselves. It's a timing factor, being in the right place in the right time. It's willing to work hard to reach those goals. And a lot of it, you know, I think is being able to have a vision for what's happening before it happens. And I'll use the cheese business as an as a perfect example is that I really didn't have any idea this business would grow like this. But I did have a vision that this area could use something like this if you could get started, get your pipeline full of, of, of product and be the first one out the gate and develop that, that brand that's known throughout the Finger Lakes now as the, as the premier cheese place. But backing that up, I mean, a lot of... There's a lot of people that think they can get into something like this or value-added product. And I tell you, it's not easy. And the government regulation that we have to go through now is not making it any easier. But, I mean, you, you learn how to navigate all that. I think it's a combination of things that make successful businesses everywhere. And mm -hmm. um, But it is the timeliness, the opportunity taking advantage of opportunities and risk and managing your debt and um, just, and having that relationship with that lender to, and, and your whole, your whole uh, team, you know, your suppliers, but basically your lender. I mean, he's the guy that's going to keep you in the game because it's, it, it ultimately comes down to him if he's going to, you know, lend you that money at a certain interest rate and keep you in business. Thanks so much for being on this week's episode of The First Years, Tom. It was such a joy to be able to share your story, and I hope that it will inspire other dairy producers to figure out um, how they can make their businesses viable in this current economy. Until next week, thanks for listening to this episode of The First Years.